his prayer in 2 Kings 19.15. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. So the cherubim, he's enthroned between them. And they're under, and the Bible tells us they're under the expanse. And that there's seraphs around him. And, uh, and these seraphs look very much like the cherubim. The cherubim had four wings. The seraphs have six wings. The cherubim have four faces each. The seraphs have one face. Um, whether they are the same thing and we just have a different picture of the same thing and, you know, described differently and they didn't see the six wings, they only saw four, you know, there's that sort of theory as well. I just sort of go with scripture. If it says six wings here and four wings there, that's it. Six wings and four wings. So they obviously one's under the expanse, one's over the expanse. One controls the worship, the other is a vehicle which God gets into, the cherubim. Yeah, are you sort of getting a clearer picture of the way that all looks in heaven? Some people think that heaven is you're just going to be sitting on a cloud having a good time. You know, just having a good old rest. You know, I'm sure you'll have really good rest in heaven. But uh, I've heard other accounts that it is, you're very busy. There's a lot to do. And it's, it's the most rewarding work you can do. Who, who's ever got bored on earth? Has anyone get bored? This is the place where boredom occurs. This is the place where you get tired. This is the place where our work isn't satisfying. This is the place where, you know, we go through trouble and hardship. None of that exists in heaven. Our work will be the most satisfying thing you can possibly imagine to do. It will be designed just for you. And when you do it, you will feel this incredible joy, incredible happiness of having doing that work. And I believe not everything is going to be done for us in heaven. Because the thing that God does on earth is he gives us things to do. And doing those things should give us pleasure, shouldn't they? You know, who, who likes to go out in their garden and plant stuff and then watch it grow and, you know, look after it over time? Not everybody does, but some people do. I know I do. And it's because he knows that we like that sort of stuff. We like to um, do things and let time make it something special and if we tend to it. So I believe we'll even be tending to gardens. But I believe if you're one of those people that just doesn't like gardens, he'll give you a self-maintaining garden. <laughs> I'll be the garden that's still got weeds growing in it. Because I love pulling weeds. No, I don't. But um, I'll, uh, definitely there'll be gardens that you have to tend and work in, but it won't be like breaking your back here. It'll be a beautiful experience to work in the puffy soil of heaven and plant something puffy. Because <laughs> I'm working with hard rock soil a lot of the time. Um, but yeah, just saw that you just you know go like this and you can plant a tree. Push it away. You know, and you know, you put your fertilizers and they work and stuff like that. You know, but that's um, that's heaven. That's heaven, and and heaven is is a, a place where our reward comes to us. And all we have to do is we have to get through this life, the trials of this life, the hardships of this life, and then we're going to have you know all the rest. People people want it all now. Who knows that? Even we do in a lot of ways. We want everything now in this life. You know, I, I go walking around uh, Unley or driving around Unley and around all these rich areas, and I'm looking at these mansions that these people are living in. These absolutely magnificent homes. And I'm thinking, these people have got their mansions on earth. Yes. You know, we don't have a mansion. Because mm. I, I, I always say to Venus, don't worry, we're going to get one. Mm. Yes. Yeah, we'll get one. It's coming in heaven. You know, you get a mansion here, and it you know, takes away a bit of the fun. So 
Be content with your, be content with what you have now. Yeah. If you've got a small home, be content with your small home. Yeah. If you've got a small car, be content with it. If you want a big car, get a Hilux. <laughs> but um, just enjoy what we have because all the great things are coming in the future. That's why guys like John Wesley, he, he had nothing. I reckon when he died, he owned about, um, I think he had about four or five silver spoons or something. And, you know, a couple of dollars. something A very small amount of money. And that was his whole total, all the assets of his whole life. Yet he had left such an impression on people while living. Um, he brought thousands, tens of thousands of people to the Lord. But at the end of his life, he had nothing. Nothing. But the clothes on his back and a few silver spoons. Okay. Let's uh, open your Bibles to the book of Revelation. This is part 27. Now we're going to have a quick look again at the breakdown of the verses. Verse 4.1, remember, if you've got your Bibles open, it basically talks about an open door and a voice that sounds like a trumpet. Uh, we did that one last week. And also verse 2, which that he sees someone on a throne. Verse 3, we also did last week, but there's one screen left that I want to do today. Uh, one who appears... As precious stones. So speaking of Jesus and that he appears as stones, as rich, precious stones. Uh, verse 4 talks about 24 elders that are um, uh, before the throne, that all have their own thrones. Uh, verse 5 talks about uh, the throne thundering and there's thunder and lightning upon the throne and also the seven spirits of God. That's an interesting passage we want to look at. Uh, 4.6 talks about the sea of glass that's before the throne and the four living creatures there's a lot in this chapter uh, verse 7 talks about the four living creatures consist of a lion an ox a man and an eagle verse 8 talks about that they have six wings they're covered with eyes and they repeated holy 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 is the lord god almighty who was and who is and is to come which is what we sang today that's a great a great song, a great chorus to sing because we're singing it with the angels of heaven. Amen? Yes. Amen. And it's powerful, isn't it? it is. You know, you could imagine being before God. and It's a, it's a powerful experience. Mm. 4, 9 to 10, 24 elders uh, that are there, when they finish praising the Lord like that, they fall down and they cast their crowns before Him and they worship Him. And then and verse 11, uh, it speaks of what they say. They say, Worthy receive glory for you are the creator of all etc. Okay, so that's um, a breakdown of that chapter. And I think it's good to get that overview, just to be able to see it in, in a nutshell. <coughs> One who appears as precious stone. So let's go there again. Uh, chapter 4, verse 3. And it says, And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. A rainbow. So he appears as a rainbow on the throne. This, like he's there and there's this radiating rainbow radiating out from him. Ezekiel one twenty six spoke of a very similar thing that he saw when he saw the throne. It says, Above the expanse and over their heads was what looked like a throne of sapphire. And high above on the throne, again, he's using, he's using stones, a sapphire stone. as a, a, The only way these, even the old prophets could... Could a picture or say with words what they were seeing was to reference a stone. And a stone is a solid, strong-looking object, especially when it's shi shiny, you know what I mean? 
Um, and that's, that's, remember, Jesus is the rock. Mm. Amen. He's a precious stone. High above on the throne was a figure like that of a man who sat on the throne. And so even in the Old Testament, they saw Jesus as a man. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal. Does that sound similar to the chapter 1 description of Jesus? His you know, feet like burnished bronze. Waist up, he looked like glowing metal as if full of fire. And that from there down, he looked like fire. A brilliant light surrounded him like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. So he saw a rainbow surrounding him as well. So was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down and I heard the voice of one speaking. And what I, I believe God wants us to receive from these passages is he is on a throne. He is actually there and he is awesome. He is awesome. Fire comes from his throne. Thunder and lightning surround his throne. And when we one day get before that throne, it's going to be awe-inspiring. And all we have are, are word descriptions. Do you know, you know, if someone goes on a holiday and they come home from the holiday and they said, you know, we were on the most beautiful beach. You've got no idea it was beautiful white sand, palm trees. And, and you're trying to visualise it. And you go, yeah, that sounds lovely. You know, I'm glad you had a good time. You know, you sort of get this thing. It's like the best words they could describe it doesn't really have an impact on you. But when you get there and you experience it, you're on that island, you're on the beach, and you're under those palm trees, it's a different experience altogether than just words, isn't it? You know what I'm saying? So when we're reading about this, we've got to say, Lord, increase my revelation of this. Increase my understanding so I get a picture. Because I tell you, if you see God on the throne, if you see God with your physical eyes, you will never be the same. You can't be the same after you've seen God. After you've seen Jesus on his throne, you know, John fell down as if dead. Ezekiel fell down. Isaiah fell down. Why, why am I a man of unclean lips? You know, they all fall down before him. And they're never the same again. They can't be the same. And I think we all need a fresh revelation of Jesus Christ, don't we? We all need that revelation of his glory. And we all got to get to heaven and, and see those, you know, the chorus that comes from the angels and the way they worship up there. Because we want it down here too, don't we? Actually, I believe when you get into, you know, I've been in, uh, Vena and I've been in worship services where it is so glorious that it feels like angels are there lifting your arms up. Who's had those experiences in worship? You just feel like God is there in this incredible thing. And the more you raise your heart to Him, the more He comes to you. You know, it says if you, you know, you reach for Him, He reaches for you. But if you pull away, He pulls away. You know, we've got to reach for Him and then He comes. And the more we intensify in our worship, the greater the glory. Amen. Amen. So we've got to use that worship time to access God, to come before His throne, just like the angels do, just like the... Uh, four living creatures who we're going to find out, of, out about. The four living creatures, full time. They never stop saying. What's the words? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and is to come. They never stop saying. But you know what's going to change after he's come? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is. There's no is to come. So that song won't work anymore. We'd have to go, was and is and <laughs> has come. <laughs> yeah, we'll still sing it. Just change the end, that part of the chorus. 
The 24 elders, let's have a look at the 24 elders. Revelation 4, verse 4. 4, verse 4 says this, Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were called elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. And had crowns of gold on their heads. So who are they? Who are these 24 elders? It's a big question, isn't it? Some eschatologists believe that they are the first 24 ancestors of Christ from Adam to Perez. I don't necessarily agree with that, but that's what they believe. They're from Adam down. I don't know why they believe that, but some, some uh, believers think that. Some say they are angels and not human, you know, like the four living creatures. Described by Mounts as an exalted angelic order who serve and adore God as the heavenly counterpart to the 24 Levitical orders functioning both in the royal and the priestly. So it's like that, you know, as we function down here, up there there's, that's already functioning and therefore it's a copy of, of heavenly things. Um, there's a little bit of merit to that. A little bit of merit to that, but um, still, I'm not, I'm not sure of that. Uh, Rari, Wolverd, and Lindsay, and others believe that the 24 elders are the New Testament saints who are raptured into heaven. Gabelin writes, there is only one possible meaning. So he's got a bit dogmatic there. <laughs> There's only one possible meaning. Uh, I think so, we've just heard two others. They represent the redeemed, the saints in glory. They are priests clothed in white, and they are kings crowned. They are a royal priesthood before the throne. Because you've got to remember, the pre-tribulationists think that you're already, that, that actual... Uh, advent of seeing the throne is the rapture. They think that because John went up, John's um, a type of church and the church is gone before the seven seals are broken because that's what they see this chapter as, which is I don't, I can't see how they can see that. I, I read it and read it and read it. I just can't see that. Uh, and therefore those 24 elders are these people. Uh, the raptured people that have already been raptured before the woes come upon the earth. And so, you know, people believe that. Actually, a huge portion of the church believe that. A huge portion. Um, I lean more to the theory that the 12, 12 of the 24 orders are God's chosen Old Testament patriarchs and 12 are God's chosen New Testament apostles because we have the 12 tribes of Israel mm -hmm. and we have the 12 apostles, <coughs> disciples. Mm -hmm. And I believe they're human because I believe God um, exalts them, you know, by, by putting them at his side. The 24 closest. Remember when um, the, the Sons of Thunder wanted to be at the Lord's side? Mm. You know, and they got the mother to come up and say, Grant that they all sit on yes. the right and left. And he says, oh, No, only God grants that. Yeah. Mm. You know, only God can grant who sits on my right and left. So these 24 elders are hand chosen by God the Father, obviously the greatest men of the whole Bible. You know, I'm sure King David will be there. Well, then again, I, I, again, I'm just saying it because he was exalted in the Old Testament. More than likely Moses. More than likely Noah. More than likely Abraham. Well, I reckon definitely Abraham, father of nations. You know, so we can go on like that and we get to about 12 and then you've got the 12 patriarchs and, and I'm not sure on that whether, you know, there was 11 and, and one had to, they had to replace uh, Judas and whether... The one who replaced Judas is not the one, and maybe it was Paul the Apostle is placed as the twelfth. Who knows? But there's lots of theories, and all we're doing is theorising because no one knows. Um, but that's my theory. 
And that's many people share that same theory. I believe that the key here is the amount, 24. It doesn't say millions, raptured millions, does it? I think if, if it said, if there was millions and millions of people who had been raptured, Christians who had been raptured, and they were up there, it would say millions and millions were on the thrones. But it says just 24. And that's, that's really important to keep in context. Because the Lord uses numbers for a specific reason, so we don't misinterpret them. 24. Thunder and lightning, chapter 4, verse 5, and it says, From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing, and these are the seven spirits of God. Uh, lightning and thunder are connected with significant events in heaven. They remind us of the lightning at Mount Sinai when God gave his people his laws. Significant event. And, and it, it's also representing power and authority because, you know, when, when God sends his lightning on the earth, we know, you know, we see the heavens light up and it's a powerful experience. Who's ever um, been to Queensland and lived through a storm in Queensland? Anyone? Well, we've seen, yeah, we're in Queensland because I used to live in Malulabar, but uh, Bina and I and the kids, we went there one day uh, as a holiday at my uh, dad's house. And uh, when the storm occurred, like it, it, the clouds came over and it was like you could just about touch them. They were that close. And then this crack of thunder went off and it was like it was, it was released like a bomb just above the roof. It was just there. This kaboom. All three of our kids started running, like they just ran in every direction, like it was the scariest thing and Vina and I were like, you know, what was that? And they're sitting there going, what's, what's the problem? <laughs> they're used to it. It was like a scary event. It, it, it shook you. It went right through your bones, you know. And uh, so thunder is a powerful thing. And then we hear that God uses thunder to portray his power and his authority. And lightning radiating out. You know, we know how, how powerful lightning is and how dangerous it, it is as well. It's Exodus 19.16, and it says, On the morning of the third day there was thunder and lightning with the thick cloud over the mountain and, very loud, and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled when they heard this. And that was when uh, Moses went up to receive the Ten Commandments. Huge clap of thunder and, and lightning. Must have been a scary sight because they were all fearful. Psalm 77, 18. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Jeremiah 10, 13. When he thunders, the waters in the heavens roar. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. He's in control of all that stuff. Mm. 2 Samuel. Let's turn there because I, I really got impacted when I read this. Chapter 22, this is a song that David wrote. Now, David was older at this stage and he had gone through many, many wars. Many wars he lived through. And he had seen God do great miracles and he's about to describe a miracle that God did in this passage. Um, and it says, The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. 
In my distress, I called to the Lord. I called out to my God. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came to his ears. The earth trembled and quaked. The foundations of the heavens shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. Now remember that word cherubim. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his canopy around him. The dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, bolts of lightning blazed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. And I'll just read a little bit more. He shot arrows and scattered the enemies. This is what he did. He was in a situation, I can't remember the exact war, but he was in a situation where he was, there was more um, enemies than he could possibly cope with. I believe it was a time when there was about three flocks, they called, uh, it was like three little flocks of men. And they'd been back-to-back -back battles, back-to-back -back battles, and they were battle-hardened men, but they were also tired. And, uh, and in front of them, was, I think it was the Philistines were coming against them. You can double check me on this. Um, and they say they were like sand on the seashore, as many as you can imagine. And you can imagine three little flocks of Israelites all sort of banding together, and they're looking at this wall of humanity, a sea of humanity. And uh, he called out to God, and God routed them, shot arrows down, and killed them and destroyed them. You know, that's a powerful God. That's a God that, the God that we serve. Now, the seven spirits, anyone ever wondered about that term, seven spirits? Yeah. Um, it's an interesting term. Now, I've, I've actually spoken on this in, earlier in this uh, series, but because it was done so many years ago, I, might, I, I sort of drew some information from what I'd already said before. Um, but the seven spirits before his throne, that's a, a bit of a mystery. Because we know we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, and we call it a, a trinity. That... that uh, concept, but let's go. Re Revelation 4b, 4:5b. Uh, before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Now, also go back to uh, chapter one of Revelation and go to one four, and you go to see grace and peace to you from Him who was and who is and is to come. Out from here and from the seven spirits before His throne. So we're getting told that there's seven spirits before His throne. That's, that's an unusual concept. To be dogmatic on this verse is not wise, and I'm, I'm not bound to be dogmatic, and we shouldn't be dogmatic on it, uh, because the Bible is not absolutely clear on the nature of the seven spirits. Some believe that they are the different gifts of the Spirit of God. Um, some have claimed that God is no longer a trinity, but a ninity. Nine, because there's seven spirits, and then there's Jesus and God the Father. And I said to John, my son, yesterday, I said, is ninety a word or, you know, how do you say nine? You've got Trinity is three. Um, and he looked it up and it's noninity is how you say it for nine. Noninity, non which is a Latin word. I don't believe that. I, I don't believe we should start, you know, becoming noninitarians. Non I think st stick with Trinitarians. It's, uh, that's a, we've got a hard enough job with just Trinitarians, you know, because a lot of people that sort of tell you God's not a Trinity, Trinity's not in the Bible and all that. That's hard enough. It's, then you've got to try to convert Trinitarians to non-Unitarians. No, it's too much trouble. So stick with that. 
The Amplified, the classic edition, reads Revelation 1.4c, and this is always good this way you look at other translations. Grace and peace to you from the seven spirits, or the sevenfold Holy Spirit before his throne. The sevenfold. Mentioned in Revelation 3 on, the Spirit is said to be of God. We know that. And I can show you that if you want to if you want to read it. Let's go to 3.1. And we'll go to B, which is these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God. Seven spirits of God. Seven, so the Holy Spirit is God. God seems to work in sevens, doesn't he? He's working in sevens. He, he does it right through Scripture. Let's have a look at just a few examples of that. One twelve, and it says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw the seven golden lampstands. We know they're the seven churches. If you go to verse 16, it says, In his right hand he held seven stars, which are the angels to the seven churches. Verse 20 explains all that. And then go to 5, 6, chapter 5, verse 6, and it says, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, circled by four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes. That's an interesting passage. Seven horns and seven eyes, and what does it say after that? Seven spirits of God. Here we are again, back to the seven spirits of God. So, so far, the stars in the... In Jesus' hand, not the Jesus, Jesus' hand are the angels to the seven churches. The lampstands are the seven churches. The seven blazing lamps are the seven spirits of God. Okay, so it says there's seven blazing lamps, and these are the seven spirits of God. And the seven horns and the seven eyes are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Zechariah 4, let's have a quick look there as well, because it's good to reference Old Testament, because... It has very similar pictures. So let's go to Zechariah 4. Then the angel who talked with me returned and wakened me as a man is wakened from his sleep. I like that. He asked me, what do you see? And I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lights on it with seven channels to the lights. And he also saw two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on the left. Now, go down to verse 10. And we all know this passage, who despises the day of small things? Men will rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. It says, these seven are the eyes of the Lord, which range through the earth. So here he's speaking of the same thing. They saw seven eyes, which are they called the eyes of the Lord. And then we find out earlier that the seven eyes are the seven spirits of God. Um, now, these things are mysteries, seriously. What we're... What, to try to make uh, say too much and teach too much on it is you, you're trying to actually unveil a mystery that I don't think is meant to be unveiled yet. We have enough trouble just understanding that God is one yet three persons, right? That's enough. Then you're trying to work out the seven spirits of God, which doesn't have a huge amount of references. And so what we understand is the seven spirits of God is still one spirit. So we, what I try to do from there is say, well, let's let's have a practical look at it, I don't believe that there's seven individual Holy Spirits. I don't believe that. Because Jesus would have made that clear. He says he's sending the Holy Counselor, one. He's sending one. And we can't treat it in the same way we treat the Trinity. Because we know that the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit are one, but they're like a family, Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. 
And that's it. But the sevenfold nature, I believe that's the word. The sevenfold nature of the Holy Spirit. So Zechariah asks, what are the seven lights on top of the lampstand with seven channels to the lights? The Lord answers, these seven are the eyes of the Lord which range throughout the earth. Before his throne, Revelation 1, 4, um, Jesus holds the seven spirits, Revelation 3, 1. So he holds the seven spirits before his throne. Seven spirits are the seven lamps blazing before the throne. Just stay with me. Seven spirits are the seven eyes of Jesus sent out into all the earth, uh, which is Revelation 5, 6. So three possible meanings. This is what I wanted to get to. Seven or hepta in Greek is always considered the number of perfection and is found 56 times in the book of Revelation of the 88 times in the New Testament. Isn't that incredible? 56 times the number seven is referenced in the book of Revelation. And only a few more times, like only about 30 more times, is it referenced in the rest of the New Testament. Number one, if seven indicates perfection, then the seven spirits of God may not be referring to seven different spirits, but rather to the perfect sevenfold nature of the Holy Spirit of God. I sort of lean towards that. Yeah, I think that's more, more where it is. Uh, two, some believe that the seven spirits are referring to seven angelic beings due to the references to the seven angels of the seven churches. And we must remember that the term angel or an angelos to the church's references to a messenger. The term angel used in the Bible is always a reference to a messenger sent. And that could be, you know, Jesus himself. It could be the Holy Spirit. It could be angelic beings or even a man considered messengers. So in a sense, if I have a message, I'm an angel. So, um, but we've got to uh, understand that when you see the word angel, it's not necessarily an angelic being that it's referencing. That Jesus was, uh, we had Christophanies through the Old Testament, where Christ appeared in Old Testament, uh, you know, times, you know, when he met with Abraham and many other times. And we know it's Jesus because of the, the description. And he was called an angel. Three angels came. And Abraham recognized them and he got them, had them stay for dinner. Do you remember this? Mm -hmm. Sorry. One of those angels was Jesus because he was a messenger. It's not that Jesus is an angel. Some also believe that the seven qualities of the Spirit are listed in Isaiah 11 too. So where it says he's the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel, the Spirit of power, the Spirit of knowledge, and the Spirit of fear of the Lord. That could be a, a, a possible, you know, the sevenfold attributes of the Spirit. This could be, as the Holy Spirit goes under different names in the New Testament, we know that he's called the Holy Counselor, Counselor the Comforter, the Advocate, yeah. the Spirit of Life, the Helper, mm. etc. There's many names for him in the New Testament. Mm. And he has all these different roles, he plays different roles in people's lives. Mm. Amen. Amen. So Wayne Jackson of the Christian Career said, the plural form spirits may suggest the diversity of his powers or in the context of chapters 1 to 3, his ministry within the seven congregations that were selected for illustrative purposes. There you go. So that's the um, seven spirits of God. The sea of glass. The sea of glass. Let's go to Revelation 4, 6. Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. And in the center around the throne were four living creatures. But we won't read that just yet. Let's go to 15, 2. I want to get to the living creatures today. And it says, And I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire, standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast in his image and over the number of his name. They held halves in their hands. 
I'm sure they were playing him, not just holding him. So we have to learn how to play the harp. Should we learn before we go? <laughs> we should all have a harp each. So we get there and we're not going to the lessons, you know. <laughs> Pretty sure you just get there and everything's given to you, hey? Like, yeah, I, think I, can so. play, I can play the harp. Either that or the, you do this and it sounds terrific, no matter what you do. Uh, the term C can be referring to a large mass. So it's not necessarily a C, Andy. I don't think you can surf on that glass C. Not if it's a sea of glass. Not if it's a sea of glass. But it, it, it's just, it, it's the word reference to C is a reference to massive. Like when you go down to the sea, all you can see is the sea, isn't it? It's like, as far as the eye can see is the sea. The sea is, is a massive thing. You know, we, we have references like, you know, uh, a sea of people. You know, if you go into a forest and you see just trees there, it's a sea of trees. You know, we have those references. And that's what I, I believe he's saying. It's not an actual sea, as in a saltwater sea. But then again, it could be. Why get dogmatic on that? It's just a glass sea. It's a mystery. Yes, John? Which one was that? Oh, Exodus 24. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right, I did miss it. Moses, Naran, Nadab, and Abihu. And the 74 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky. So that's right. Thank you, John, for picking me up because I really did. I stretched myself trying to find something to do with this. Um, and Moses and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu all saw the same sea, the same sea of glass. So we, in, in understanding that, is it, these things are eternal things. These were around way before... The Old Testament, you know, uh, patriarchs come to be. You know, before the time of Adam, this always existed. The throne of God has been forever, hasn't it? Eternity past and eternity future. The throne of Jesus always is there. Now, the four living creatures. Four six B. Turn there and have a read. Who's ever wondered about the living creatures? Yeah, this is a very interesting. Uh, part of scripture and it says in the center around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and behind the first living creature was like a lion the second was like an ox the third had a face like a man and the fourth was like a flying eagle each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around even under his wings and day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and is to come. Never stop saying it. Never stop saying it. You know, I think a, a prayer time filled with saying that is time well spent. You know, you can take from that. Just join in with the chorus in heaven, the heavenly chorus. Say, Lord, help me to join in on that heavenly chorus. And just say it to God. Because there's, that's, he has this chorus of praise going continually in the kingdom of God and on his, upon his throne. And it's brought by these four living creatures that lead the praise. And that's what they're saying. Holy, holy, holy. That's why when we sing that song in this church, we should embrace that song. Really get a hold of it. Sing it with all our heart because we're joining in on that heavenly chorus. Um, now, what some believe, some believers think that the four living creatures represent the four quarters of the zodiac. They do. I've heard some prominent ministers say uh, stuff about this, namely Leo the lion. Sounds like a storybook, doesn't it? Leo the lion, Taurus the bull, 
Aquarius, the man, and Scorpio, the scorpion. Doesn't fit. But they believe Scorpio was represented by an eagle in ancient times, therefore they make it fit. Others believe that the four living creatures represent the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And each one is referenced to a different living creature. I believe that the four living, cre four living creatures represent the four living creatures. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not make it too complex. That's what I believe it is. It says there's four living creatures up there and they are in control of the worship and the praise. Uh, and I believe that they're called seraphs. And we'll have a talk about that because I, I want to see where I came to that conclusion. And it's all scriptural. because it's, I wouldn't say that unless it's in the scriptures. Seraphs are the four living creatures. Isaiah 6, 1 to 4, and it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Remember, this is the Old Testament. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Does that sound like the same living creatures? Mm, yes. Yeah. Um, and there is more references to that, to the, the faces and, and so on. So... That very interesting. Now, who's heard of the cherubim? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, now, this is an interesting one, and I want you guys to make your own conclusions here, but I'll say what I think. Ezekiel, let's turn there. UFOologists love this passage of Scripture because they think it's talking about a UFO. Or Von Daniken. Flying crafts, hey? Von Daniken. Von Daniken does. He, he brings it up, yeah. And it says, I looked. Everyone there? I looked and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north. An immense cloud with flashing lightning and surrounded by brilliant light. The centre of the fire looked like glowing metal and in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. In appearance their form was that of a man, but each of them had four faces and four wings. So these are different creatures in my opinion and you'll see why because each of them have four faces where the ones in um, Revelation they had one face but each of the same four faces but only one each not four each so that's why I've got that picture there because it's a picture that someone depicted you know four different faces on the one creature now I don't think they look like that but it um, certainly is a very interesting um, concept and God is just, you know, I reckon when they're looking at it, it won't look freaky at all. We'll be awestruck, blown away, but it won't look crazy. It won't look like some mutant thing. It'll look like, you know, yes, that's how they're meant to be. You know, that doesn't quite look like that. But again, we need better depictions, Christian, of some of these images. Uh, yeah, the centre of the fire, this is just before verse... The centre of the fire was like glowing metal, and in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was that of a man, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, their feet were like those of a calf, and gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings and on the four sides, they had hands of a man. All four of them had faces and wings, and their wings touched one another. Each one went straight ahead. They did not turn as they moved. Their faces looked like this. Each of them had four faces of a man, and on the right side, each had the face of a lion, on the left, the face of an ox. Also, they had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. 
So again, it's the same faces that we read about in the book of Revelation. Their wings were spread out upwards. Each had two wings, one touching the wing of another creature on either side, and the two wings covered its body. Each one went straight ahead. Wherever the spirit, wherever the spirit would go, they would go without turning as they went. And it continues. I just want to see if there's something else I want to read. And it has the same description of um, Jesus, if you go to near the end there to uh, verse 27. And it says, I saw that from the, what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal as if full of fire. And that there, there down he looked like fire and the brilliant light surrounded him. I think we read this earlier, didn't we? Mm -hmm. So that's a pretty powerful description of these cherubim. But they had four wings and each of them had four faces. The... the uh, Seraphs that are spoken of in the book of Revelation had six wings covered with eyes. I believe these ones had eyes too. Yes. Uh, just didn't read. But they had one face. It says that they had one face each. They didn't have four faces each. So let's go to Ezekiel 10. So just a little bit further forward. And chapter 10 says, I looked and I saw the likeness of a throne of sapphire above the expanse that was over the heads of the cherubim. So the expanse is over the heads of the cherubim. I'm wondering whether they are under the expanse and whether the seraphs are above the expanse. I'm just wondering that because it says these were around the throne, the four living creatures in the book of Revelation, where these ones, the cherubs, are under the expanse. And I don't know why that is, but this is what the word is saying. Again, we're talking about mysteries. Really, mysteries. I looked and I saw likeness of a throne of sapphire above the expanse that was over the heads of the cherubim. The Lord said to the man clothed in linen, who's the man clothed in linen? Anyone going to take a guess? We should all know. Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. Go in among the wheels beneath the cherubim, because they had these wheels that moved with them. Uh, fill your hands with the burning coals from among the cherubim and scatter them. So now they're getting called cherubim. Okay? These same creatures. Go to the end of chapter 10 and go to verse 20 and it says, These were the living creatures I had seen beneath the God of Israel by the Kibar River. So they were beneath the God of Israel by the Kibar River. And the, the Kibar River was where Ezekiel was in chapter 1. And it says, And I realized that they were cherubim that he had seen then. He knew their name by chapter 10, but in chapter 1 he just called them living creatures. And these are cherubim. Now let's have a look at 2 Samuel. I've got it here written for you. 2 Samuel 22, 10 to 11. He says, He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim. So, and he flew and he soared on the wings of the wind. They say that the Lord mounts these cherubim. So that's probably why they're underneath the expanse. Because the Lord steps out and they go underneath him. And he goes with the cherubim. So it... There's a belief that he comes back on a horse, but that maybe the cherubim is in, incorporated into all that, that he's going to come back in the cherubim, because he travels on a cherubim. Now, you've got to think, well, does God need to really travel on anything that he created? He doesn't really have to. But I think he just enjoys the ride. Yeah, because he can. Because he can. You know, We don't have to ride motorbikes, but if you're into that, buy a motorbike, you know, ride it. Um, I don't advise anyone to buy a motorbike and ride them. But um, if you do, pray a lot. <laughs> but you don't have to ride surfboards, do you, Andy? No. No. 
but we do it because we can. That's right, exactly. All right, so now there's one other thing, and I didn't actually, because I skipped a lot of the chapter, because I didn't want to, you know, drive you crazy by reading so much of Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 1, it says that um, the cherubim had the face of a lion, a human, or a man, an ox, and a eagle. In chapter 10, the cherubim had the face of a cherub, a man, an eagle, and a lion. So suddenly the ox is not there. So suddenly this is the only difference we see in, in Scripture. And, and so I, again, I started researching, trying to find someone who's, you know, I looked at the Hebrew, and the Hebrew references the same thing. But um, in chapter 1, the cherubim had the faces of a man, a lion, an eagle, and an ox. But in chapter 10, they had the faces of a cherub, a man, a lion, and an eagle. Some have suggested that a later scribe mistakenly copied a cherub in place of the face of an ox. So there's the, that, that it could be a mistake in the Hebrew scriptures. That this was because they, for some reason, you know, reading that they're cherubim and then has a face of cherub and maybe there was a mistake. I'm not sure about that. I don't know if God makes mistakes like that or allows mistakes like that to be passed on. A second view is that the face of an ox was in fact the normal understanding of the face of a cherub. Um, in Akkadian literature, the Karubu, cognate of cherub, appeared to have non-human faces. So these cherubs had animal faces, and an ox was one of the faces that they were used to seeing as um, indicative of a cherub. And I think that's that could be a valid uh, view of that. The word cherub in Syriac and Chaldee signified to till or plough, which is the proper work of an oxen. So there's another reference to it. So it can be reconciled in that sense, or you know, again, something that you say to God, you know, when you get to heaven, why the cherub and the ox? And God will give us a better definition or explanation of why that is. But I think they're pretty good explanations, don't you? Mm -hmm. I read a lot about it to try to find the best explanation, and I think those two sort of close in on the best one. We sort of use the word cherub as a cute thing. We do. Yeah. We, babies, yeah, normally, we think babies as cherubs, don't we? You know, if you buy a, a, yeah. a card with cherubs on it or something, they're all babies. Have you seen that? They're little round, curly head yeah. babies. John used to be, his grandma used to call him Cherub. It was his nickname from his uh, yaya when growing. Remember that, John? Yeah. It was a precious thing because this lady was the most beautiful lady. One of the most beautiful ladies in the world, among all you beautiful ladies. And, um, yeah, just... I have very fond memories of how she used to speak to John and Tessa. These are the uh, wheels that intersect one another that's spoken of, and there's the, the uh, living creatures under the expanse, and there's the throne above, and uh, resembling a rainbow, and I think that was pretty, pretty good. And how that all works, again, it's a description of something, you know, that's very hard to understand. It's like you imagine living, you know, 2,000 years ago, and someone describing to you a plane. It flies in the air. It's like a bird, you know. It's, it, you know, it's got big, you know, uh, like volcanoes coming out from the side, you know, jet propelling it, you know, trying to get that sort of clear picture. The cherubim are interesting because when God made Moses make the Ark of the Covenant, he had two cherubim made and placed on the cover. And this is a, a depiction of what the Ark of the Covenant looked like. And these are the cherubs. 
touching the wings. And then there's also cherubim in Solomon's temple. When Solomon built the temple, he had two cherubim made out of olive wood and overlaid them with gold. They were 15 feet tall. 15 feet. That's, that's tall. And, uh, and their wings were 15 feet. Uh, one wing touched uh, the wall and the other one touched the wing of the other cherubim. And uh, under that, they placed the Ark of the Covenant when Solomon moved into the temple underneath these two giant cherubs. Must have been something spectacular to look at. They say it was the greatest of the temples. And this is, a, again, a depiction of that. These huge temple uh, cherubims and the Ark of the Covenant getting brought in um, underneath it. The Lord enthroned between the cherubim. They furnished the temple and the Ark of the Covenant this way because they know that the Lord God is enthroned between the cherubim. And here's Hezekiah, his prayer in 2 Kings 19.15. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim. You alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. So the cherubim, he's enthroned between them. And they're under. And the Bible tells us they're under the expanse and that there's seraphs around him. And, uh, and these seraphs look very much like the cherubim. The cherubim have four wings. The seraphs have six wings. The cherubim have four faces each. The seraphs have one face. Um, whether they are the same thing and we just have a different picture of the same thing and, you know, described differently and they didn't see the six wings, they only saw four, you know, there's that sort of theory as well. I just sort of go with scripture. If it says six wings here and four wings there, that's it. Six wings and four wings. So they obviously one's under the expanse, one's over the expanse, one controls the worship, the other is a vehicle which God gets into, the cherubim. Yeah, are you sort of getting a clearer picture of the way that all looks in heaven? The 24 elders, they fall down and worship. We're nearly at the end of this chapter, so I want to see if I can just sort of power through and get it done. Because I'm really looking forward to the chapters that are coming up. Seven seals. Who's looking forward to the seven seals? Revelation 4, verse 9. And it says, Whenever the living creatures give glory, honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who live forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before him and they say, You are worthy. Our Lord and God to receive glory and honour and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. By your will. So that's what they call out. Jill, in Jill's commentary, he says that they cast their crowns before the throne signifying that they receive them from him that sits upon it, being by the grace of God what they are. And that they are unworthy to wear them in his presence, being but unprofitable servants in all they do. And hereby also acknowledging their subjection to him as their king and lawgiver. They basically say, you know, this crown has been given by you, but, you know, I don't deserve it. You deserve it. And it's just casting the crowns before him. And all of those, you know, we're all going to be, um, you know, kings and priests of God most high. And we'll all be. If we have crowns, casting our crowns. Because who, who among us are worthy? Only Jesus Christ is worthy. But he's bestowing these blessings and places of significance upon us and giving us you know, responsibilities in the kingdom of God. 
Some people think that heaven is you're just going to be sitting on a cloud having a good time. You know, just having a good old rest. You know, I'm sure you'll have really good rest in heaven. But uh, I've heard other accounts that it is, you're very busy. There's a lot to do. And it's, it's the most rewarding work you can do. Who, who's ever got bored on earth? Has anyone get bored? This is the place where boredom occurs. This is the place where you get tired. This is the place where our work isn't satisfying. This is the place where, you know, we go through trouble and hardship. None of that exists in heaven. Our work will be the most satisfying thing you can possibly imagine to do. It will be designed just for you. And when you do it, you will feel this incredible joy, incredible happiness of having doing that work. And I believe not everything is going to be done for us in heaven. Because the thing that God does on earth is He gives us things to do. And doing those things should give us pleasure, shouldn't they? You know, who, who likes to go out in their garden and plant stuff and then watch it grow and, you know, look after it over time? Not everybody does, but some people do. I know I do. And it's because He knows that we like that sort of stuff. We like to um, do things and let time make it something special and if we tend to it. So I believe we'll even be tending to gardens. But I believe if you're one of those people that just doesn't like gardens, he'll give you a self-maintaining garden. <laughs> I'll be the garden that's still got weeds growing in. Because right. I love pulling weeds. No, I don't. But um, I'll, uh, definitely there'll be gardens that you have to tend and work in, but it won't be like breaking your back here. It'll be a beautiful experience to work in the puffy soil of heaven and plant something puffy. Because <laughs> I'm working with hard rock soil a lot of the time. Um, but yeah, just saw that you just, you know, go like this and you can plant a tree. Push it away. You know, and you know, you put your fertilizers and they work and stuff like that, you know. But that's, um, that's heaven. That's heaven. And, and heaven is, is a, a place where our reward comes to us. And all we have to do is we have to get through this life, the trials of this life, the hardships of this life. And then we're going to have, you know, all the rest. People, people want it all now. Who knows that? Even we do in a lot of ways. We want everything now in this life. You know, I, I go walking around uh, Unley or driving around Unley and around all these rich areas. And I'm looking at these mansions that these people are living in. These absolutely magnificent homes. And I'm thinking, these people have got their mansions on earth. You know, we don't have a mansion. Because I, I, I always say to Vina, don't worry, we're going to get one. Yes. Yeah. We'll get one that's coming in heaven. You know, you get a mansion here and it you know, takes away a bit of the fun. So be content with your, be content with what you have now. Yeah. If you've got a small home, be content with your small home. Yeah. If you've got a small car, be content with it. If you want a big car, get a Hilux. <laughs> but um, just enjoy what we have because all the great things are coming in the future. That's why guys like John Wesley, he, he had nothing. I reckon when he died, he owned about, um, I think he had about four or five silver spoons or something. And, you know, a couple of dollars, something, a very small amount of money. And that was his whole total, all the assets of his whole life. Yet he had left such an impression on people while living. Um, he brought thousands, tens of thousands of people to the Lord. But at the end of his life, he had nothing. Nothing. But the clothes on his back and a few silver spoons. So, um, you know, we put so much, place so much emphasis on having everything now in this life, forgetting that God's going to give us everything then. And maybe we should, you know, sometimes go without stuff. We don't need it all. Mm. Oh, you know, sometimes I think we have too much. Mm, Who's, whose house can get cluttered with stuff? 
if you've lived in the same place, like we've been living in the same place for 20 years or something, mm -hmm. we're constantly trying to declutter because we just build up so much stuff, just builds up and builds up. All right, I think i am finished that chapter. Wow. Got through it, well, so everyone happy with that? Yes. All right, so the next next sermon in the series will be chapter five, and we're talking about, and I think I'll get through chapter five a bit quicker too, and it talks about the scroll and the lamb, and the worthy lamb who's able to open the scroll. And then it's the beginning, because in the same vision when Paul, uh, sorry, John gets to heaven, sees all these remarkable things, he also sees the beginning of the Great Tribulation and this breaking of the seven seals and the trumpets and so on. So we're going to get right into that over the next few weeks. And, um, and I want to hopefully shed more light on it than I've ever shed before and bring some really good teaching to you. So I hope you... Um, and again, um, should we be dogmatic on all these things? Um, but if the scriptures say something, we've got to believe it, don't we? We've got to take it for face value. But if it doesn't say it, if it's saying something and people are trying to make it say something else, like the 24 elders or all those that have been raptured before the tribulation, that's not what the 24 elders are. 24 elders are 24 elders. You know? It doesn't say 24 million elders. You know? So we've got to, we've got to take the word at face value. And, and then if there's symbology in it, we've got to be very wise because it usually cross-checks with the Old Testament, and we've got to bring all those things uh, and parallel them up so that we get the, the best explanation. Amen? Amen? All right, thank you, Lord. Lord, I just pray that you uh, you help us now just to digest everything that was said today, and uh, I thank you for everyone's patience here with uh, to sit through these sermons, and I pray that everyone is being blessed by them, Lord. Um, I just uh, ask that you uh, bless us this week, and you cover us with your precious blood, and look after us, and just lead us by the Spirit this week and lead us in the on the path that you would have us go. And so I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Be with us and uh, and may we be blessed in our fellowship time together as we uh, as we begin to um, uh, you know as we uh, pack up today. So be with us now in the name of Jesus. Amen.